everybody. Welcome back everyone to the Strength Institute podcast. Uh, today we're working from the home studio with a very heavy Jocko podcast vibe. I hope you enjoy the new look. And uh, today we're going to be having someone on talking about uh, GPS data, performance indicators, returning from injury in high-level athletes, um, in particular rugby union, but this can be looked at uh, for pretty much all uh, field sports. So if you haven't done so already, please like, subscribe, um, help the channel grow, and enjoy the podcast. Lewis, welcome back to the Strength Institute Mate, podcast. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Now, for everyone uh, watching or listening, uh, if you have been here since the beginning, you would recognize uh, Lewis's voice. Uh, uh, he's back for, from the first episode to the 11th episode. So, uh, Louis is a professional strength and conditioning coach um, with the Kintetsu Liners, a Japanese uh, rugby team. And uh, we're going to catch up on what's been going on over the last year. A lot of exciting things um, in terms of getting some work published uh, or on the route to get published. And uh, some exciting things to come. So, Louis, thanks for coming on. That's all right. Thanks, Dan. Too easy. Thanks so, uh, before we jump into all of the uh, the, the you know soon to be hopefully published uh, articles, um, how did the last season go for you? Uh, great. We had a really solid season in Japan. Uh, there's two. It was broken up because of the World Cup. It was broken up into two two seasons. And uh, first season we only lost one game, which was to last year's champions. And then the second season we were undefeated. So we fantastic season for us. Oh, awesome. And the way it was structured there has changed. There was sort of like a top division, second division, where there was um, you could get uh, relegated or promoted, and then uh, now they're combining it all into one competition? Yeah, so this year we've been in second division, and, and we've been like the All Blacks of second division. We've been rolling through Team 70 and 0. Uh, and then in 2020, the, the, what they're going to do is combine the two groups together, top league and second division, and have one big group of 24 and then you're going to try and sort out a top 12 and bottom 12. All right. And are you excited for that format, or do you think it's going to be a bit different going away from what you're used to? Uh, no, definitely. Uh, I think the, the way, or for my team, the way we're going is quite a strong team, and I feel that we are able to compete with those top league teams. Well, you had a couple of good signings last year. You yeah, got did, yeah. Quade Cooper and Will Genia. Got, uh, Will and Quade, yeah. Yeah, uh, nice. Fantastic. Yeah, good combo yeah. together as well. Great combo together. And um, uh, hard workers? Yeah, really good. Yeah. Really good. I was actually surprised. Yeah. Or impressed. Because you hear rumours about them from times in Australia and the clubs they've come from uh, and, and just things in the media and don't know what to expect with big egos or personalities. But they've both been fantastic and trained really hard. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. So let's dive into uh, this work that you are getting published. Sure. So what I've done is, is collect a whole lot of data from my team um, and mainly the GPS and strength and conditioning data. And then we're looking at the relationships between GPS from games and then their strength and conditioning data. So how much do you squat, how much do you, uh, your yo-yo score, your speed scores, uh, those sorts of things. And then looking at game data, uh, game GPS data, and are there any relationships between that? So does what you squat or your power to weight on the squat influence your high speed running? Okay. And uh, what are the main takeaways from it all? If you are leaner with uh, your skin folds. If you get uh, better speed scores and better yo-yo fitness scores, you're going to be running faster in a game, uh, more in a game, and more high-speed running in a game. Yeah. And that was interesting as well. Those that follow along on the website, I posted one of uh, Louis' uh, written articles where he talks a lot about the GPS data, and uh, it touches on that as well. Can, and can you outline some of the, um, the, the principal focuses that you had uh, in terms of the data that you collected? Yeah, so we look at um, the variables I look at a lot are things like metres a minute, which gives you an av average speed of the game. So, for example, an average speed might be 70 metres a minute for a game, which doesn't sound like 
much, but if you average it out over all of the, the scrums and line outs and time, time off in the game, uh, average out to be about 70 metres a minute. Uh, but you do see definitely peaks with different positions. So wingers or halfbacks or fullbacks might cover a lot more than that. Uh, look at total distance, you look at number of accelerations, high speed running, sprint metres. Uh, there's a number of different variables that we would look at. Yeah, and what's, that, what's high speed running? So high speed running is anything over five metres a second. So you uh, take, so walking might be one metre a second or two metres a second, then you move into jogging, and then anything over five metres a second, you'd consider that to be running. And then anything over 6.6 .6 metres a second, we consider that to be sprinting. Okay, all right. And so do you have sort of KPIs for all your players after collecting this data, you say, all right, props, the fat boys, you know, you, you, you need to run more, you need to run faster, like you're not getting enough um, input into the game, like you're just walking around too much. Or, or do you just use it in general? Hey guys, we want the whole team, everyone should be averaging this, or do you break it down by position? Yeah, definitely. Uh, positionally, definitely. So I think it's important to note that sometimes the running, the GPS doesn't mean that someone's played better or played worse. So someone could have a fantastic game, be, be making all their tackles in the right position at the right time, making the right calls or plays, and the GPS may not reflect that, but they've still had a great game. So it's not always a one-for-one with GPS and, and game performance. But in general, we do have running targets for guys to hit in training so that we know that they're fit enough to, to play at a certain level. Sure, okay. And so you say that you know performance doesn't always correlate with, um, uh, with the GPS data. So do you, are you um, sitting down with the coaches and, and actually looking at, all right, so who, who, who played really well? And then you're trying to, to look at the GPS and to see if they performed well on GPS or are you just, you know, yeah, definitely. So we do. I'll send out a report every week after the game, and I'll highlight a few players, players that have done well, players that have done poorly, uh, and it could be the weekly totals or or in a game. A lot of the GPS we use is for training purposes to make sure we're training at, at a game intensity. Sure. So when we've had we have a huge database of game GPS, and so we can pretty much draw a line in the sand and say this is what a game intensity is. This is how, how we play, and this is say a worst case scenario in a game we need to be training at or above that level. So I will format the GPS with just red and green. So red would be below game intensity, green is above game intensity. Uh, so every day I'll print out a report for the players and the green, if your name's in green or that your meters a minute or your accelerations, your distance is in green, you've hit your game intensity or above game intensity and we break that up positionally. So a prop is not expected to be running as much as a winger, for example. Right. And, then, and then same with a game, we break it up as well, Who, who's run high amounts, who's run low amounts. Uh, but as I said, it, it doesn't, in a game, it might not always be reflective of their performance. For example, probably one of the, the highest game running loads we've had was against a, a team where we lost 50 nils a few years ago. So we had a really poor performance, but if you just looked at the GPS, you'd think, oh, they've, they've run a lot, they've done really well. Just running backwards. Yeah, just running backwards, yeah, running under the sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, so you said there that, um, that you want to train either at or above your game intensity at trainings. Is that the same for all trainings, or is it like a gym program where you're going to try to periodize that depending on where you are in the season and, and who you're versing? Definitely, yeah. So it, it's not just a blanket line, oh, you've got to train this hard or, or else. Uh, so there's definitely different days of the week and, in, and then different weeks in the year, in the season, where we train at, we try and train at different intensities. In general, when we're doing team things, so rugby's 15 on 15, and then in training, if we're doing 15 on 15, we, are, we want to be training at a game intensity. But if, if there's certain uh, 
um, components of training that are more skill-based, more technical-based, it doesn't need to be done at a game speed because you, you might not be, there might not be that much running involved. So if we're working on a breakdown and hitting a bag and looking at someone's body position and their technique, it's not done at game speed right. because it can't be done at game speed. But then if it's a, a team situation, there's kicking and running, we are really looking for that running to be done above game intensity so that we know that they're fit enough come, that, come game day. Okay. And I'm assuming, like, unlike the Super Rugby, where they might take a three-week tour of, of South Africa or of New Zealand when they're versing multiple teams, every weekend you're catching the train off my yeah, back, yeah, back, yeah. back home. So we're on the, on the bullet trains, which are amazing in Japan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you just rock up and get on and... And so we'll go from Osaka to Tokyo. It takes about two and a half hours. Nice. And that might make it a little bit easier. You wouldn't have to take into, into account flying 12 hours to get someplace yeah. and, and how that's going to affect the player's legs and everything. Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. So the, the recovery from travel is almost non-existent in, yeah. in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. There are some times we have to fly to games uh, overnighters and things, but, but most of the time it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah, excellent. Um, and so... This uh, it's been approved for publish or accepted for publish um, in the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association yep. journal. Correct. Yeah, should be out this this uh, this year sometime. This year sometime. Yep. Fantastic. And we were having a chat before the podcast, and you had mentioned um, that you are taking this same data set along with some other things that you have recorded, and you're looking at actually doing a second publication, hopefully. Yes, I'm hoping to uh, work in the game stats as well. So something that interests me is is what can I do in my area that influences the game and their performance in the game? So I want to uh, look at game stats and look at, say, their, their line breaks or their tackles made, defenders beaten, missed tackles, and then look at what influences those things. So does their strength, does their fitness, does their speed influence how many tackles they make or how their line breaks are or those sorts, of, those sorts of things. Okay, so a little bit contrasting to the current one where you're looking at just purely meters run, how hard they're working, how fast they're running and how, how far. Yeah. You're now looking at those guys because you said that the correlation isn't always there with performance, sort of what really makes someone perform well on, on the field in regards to strength and conditioning. Exactly, yeah. So I'll, I wanna really wanna be able to influence a, a game's outcome through right. strength and conditioning. No match fixing though. <laughs> no match fixing. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, and, and if you had to bet, what would your what would your top three be? Top three strength conditioning aspects uh, to perform well on rugby union. Uh, because we had this conversation years ago when you were working <laughs> at the uh, at the Western Force. All right, yep. you were you were one of the um, the, the younger S and C guys there, yep, yep. and you were telling me what some of the guys were squatting. And I was laughing because it was nowhere near what some of the powerlifters are squatting. And no, no, no. I was like, these guys are weak. They're meant to be yeah. professional players. And yeah. you said, Nevin, just they're paid to play rugby, not paid to squat big. And exactly. I was like, oh, right. But you know, it still hurts my feelings a little bit that the professional players aren't squatting enough. Yeah, exactly. So what are your top three tips? Or what do you think well, will be the top three tips? I think top three, well, it might be different for positions, different positions. But you'd think uh, speed, speed and fitness. Yeah, would be two big ones. Now we're talking top speed or like acceleration to get. To yeah, speed. acceleration. So someone's ten and twenty meter times. Yeah, uh, and I think that'd be very important for outside backs, maybe midfielders as well. I think fitness would be uh, very important. Yeah, and and maybe even just body weight. Body weight. Someone's like it's a contact sport. I think bigger players, generally speaking. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and. If you got a with a squad of fifty, and if you got the squad of fifty, and you lined them up in size order, probably the on the big end, they're probably your starters, and on the small end are probably the guys that don't get to play much. Right. So I'd think just 
the size of the person. So if you're big and you're fit and you're fast, you're probably going to be good playing rugby. Good if you're small and you're slow and you're unfit, you're probably not going to be playing rugby. Yeah. So. Well, well, I'm excited to see what all the data says when you, when you get it all and, yeah. and have a look at it. That should be interesting. It should be very interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, injury. Yes. So do you use the GPS to try to prevent uh, or get indications of when people might be at a higher risk for injury? I know that with uh, lifting weights, it's the same thing. If you're doing drastically different volumes, um, you know, week, week to week, um, you're much higher risk of hurting yourself. I'm assuming it's the exact same with running. So um, what have you found yeah, there? Yeah, definitely. We use the acute to chronic ratio a lot. So let's say if we take someone's four-week average and they've been averaging about 20 kilometres a week and then if you uh, have the fifth week and you're doing 40 kilometres, well, now you're doubling your average workload and this is a huge injury risk. So you, you want to keep someone within sort of 130% of their average workload. So 130% of... 20Ks is uh, 26Ks okay. <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, so you'd want to be keeping them within that 26K a week. Yeah. Uh, if the average was 20, keeping them under 26, you're hopefully in a safe zone there. Sure. Uh, that's very simply. But so we look at this acute to chronic ratio pretty much daily and, and weekly, making sure the players are in the right zone to be getting fitter but not doing so much that they're going to be getting injured. Yeah. So it's, a, it's about doing sort of slightly more than you've done previously, but not so much more that it's a huge stress for your body. And do they have input into that, the players themselves with like RPE? Um, so they might, you know, not have been exceeding the the extra percentage of work rate, 30, 30% you're saying? Yeah. The extra 30%, um, but they might just feel run down. Do they, you know, have a chance to, to note that out to you and say, look, I'm not feeling, my legs just aren't keeping up this week. Um, and then you would just manually lower their work rate? Yeah, yeah. so we have a, a system we use where they, they fill out an electronic form every morning and it comes through to us into a few spreadsheets and a few graphs and it, it'll say, oh, you know, Nevin's legs are tired, Nevin's feeling fatigued. So then that gives us a chance to then go and talk to you and say, what's going on? Are you tired? Are you not sleeping well? Are you not recovering properly? Uh, maybe we do need to lower your workload for that day or that week. Uh, so we definitely take into account the, the subjective as well as objective. Yeah. So not just looking at numbers, but also talking to the person and seeing how they're feeling. Okay. And uh, with, with the, the gym work that you're doing with them, so you know, off the field, um, in the gym, lifting weights, are you taking that same, um, that same ratio uh, onto the gym floor? So when you're programming for their squats, or are you just working at a basic sort of percentage-based training where they're not gonna really have a huge amount of um, difference or fluctuation in their volume? It's more of a overtime progression. Yeah, exactly. There's not gonna be a huge amount of fluctuation uh, over long period of time within the gym. Through pre-season, there'll be more gym sessions, we'll probably do four to five a week, or even we might just start doing double days and maybe have eight sessions a week. Yeah. Uh, but then once we're in season, it's very, very consistent how much we do. Uh, and it, while the exercises might change a little bit, intensity might change a little bit, the, the volume of how much we're doing in season is very, very consistent. Right, and, and what, are you, what are you shooting for in the gym? I mean, how long is your season? Uh, it's it's been different every year for the last Just five years. On average, <laughs> uh, what could be say twelve weeks. Twelve week season. Yeah. So, are you trying to get them stronger during that twelve weeks, or do you find that when you are now implementing, you know, full contact games, um, extra recovery sessions, trying to get gym sessions in, trying to get extra field sessions for uh, technique work, also for strategy and also for conditioning, 
Um, do you find that their strength wavers during the season or are you just trying to get them to maintain? Um, obviously, it's easier to maintain uh, as opposed to increasing your strength. Um, and a huge injury uh, risk is people that are weak. You're more yeah, likely to get injured. Exactly, so you obviously yeah. want to keep them strong. Exactly. And what do you find with your players? Is there a dip during the season or you manage to keep their strength about the same? Uh, yeah, so the, the goal is definitely to maintain. I, I hope with younger guys, you could actually still see a little bit of an increase. Younger and, and, and newer to the... Exactly, new, someone new into the program. Yeah. Uh, and, and the first year guys will just continue to get stronger throughout that whole first year, even if they're playing games, they'll, they'll still improve. Uh, but definitely the goal is usually just maintenance in, in season. Uh, we structure a week, so Mondays the guys will come in. If they've played on a Saturday, Mondays they come in, usually quite stiff and sore if they've played 60 minutes plus. Uh, so it's more about movement. They get it, they touch on a bit of strength, but they just sort of go through the go through the motions. Uh, Tuesday's gonna have to be the main work day. So that's the day we're gonna be doing heavy squats or heavy deadlifts or the big compound strength movements. Yeah. And then Thursday we act as a bit of a, a primer, a bit of a spark up we call it. So they're doing a few more power movements. Could be power cleans, hang snatch, those sorts of things. Um, and that can be still done quite heavy, but it's more of an explosive emphasis what is your main emphasis in the gym? Squats and Olympic lifts? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a big emphasis on, on someone's lower body performance in general. So not just strength, not just squats, but their jumping performance, single leg, double leg, um, their plyometric, so their rebound performance um, and strength compared to their body weight. Sure. So it's a big emphasis for me. I don't think what someone bench presses has a huge impact on the game. Yeah. But certainly if you're stronger through your hips and legs. I think you've got more of an ability to say, drive into contact, break a tackle. Uh, I'm sure you'd know about scrummaging. Yeah, definitely helps all, scrummaging. That definitely helps yeah, the scrummaging. 100%. Yeah. yeah, nice. Um, and what if we touch on sort of um, return from injury protocols? Because yep. that's obviously really big. Um, part of your job as a strength and conditioning coach is one, to get your players playing to the best of their ability, you know, um, physically and, and with fitness, uh, good fitness levels. When someone gets injured, your goal is to get them back out there as quick as you can and to try to prevent that re-injury. Mm. And a lot of times, unfortunately, a huge um, indicator for injury is past injury in that same yeah, spot. Correct. So yeah, yeah. And that is the number one risk indicator for hamstrings is if you've had a previous hamstring Definitely. injury, it's going to yes. be far more likely to go again. Mm. So what sort of um, you know return to sport or return to playing protocols do you guys use at the Kintetsu Liners? Uh, so it'd be reasonably individualized to the, the player, to their injury. So if the way you'd go about a shoulder injury compared to a knee injury is completely different. So, say for a hamstring injury, um, first of all, you really try and avoid avoid them. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's an obvious one, but you really hope that you're not doing too many soft tissue injuries yeah. or muscle injuries. Uh, and and would use say the GPS, the acute to chronic ratio, would look at their strength and their glute ham raise and remaining deadlift. Uh, but let's say unfortunately someone did does do a hamstring injury. Uh, we then try and build up their running load very slowly over time. Look at their high speed running, build that up over time and build their strength up over time. We then have say exit markers from different stages of rehab. So stage one might just be to run 10 Ks in a week without having any tightness or inflammation in the injury. And then if so, if they can get that, okay, tick, you've passed it. Now let's look at some strength markers. So can you remain in deadlift 70% of what you used to be able to do. So there's another exit marker, give that a tick, and then you'd progress through the stages. And by the end stage, you'd, you'd hope that you were stronger, fitter, faster than you were when you had the injury. Sure. So if, if you've got someone back to 80% of where they were when they got injured, 
well, chances are they're going to get injured again because right. they already weren't strong enough to cope with the, the demands. Yeah, exactly. So if it is a hamstring and they used to remain in deadlift 80 kilos per 10, well, let's try and get them to 90 kilos per 10 and let's try and get them running faster, let's try and get them running more so that when they get back to sport, they're hopefully in, in better condition. All right, now that must be walking a fine line as well because I'm sure coaches are pressing to get the best players out in the field and if someone's got an injury and we're saying, hey, we can't put him back out there until he gets at least back to where he was, is that always the case or do sometimes guys get back out there early? It's not always your call as an SNC coach? Yeah, not always my call, but it, it's, it can be just a collaboration between strength and conditioning, the physios and the coaches. Um, sometimes the coaches will say, look, this guy's not ready. He's not, you know, maybe it's someone's shoulder saying he's not making tackles. He's not confident on, on that shoulder making tackles. He needs more time. Uh, sometimes the other coaches will be saying, where is he? He's fit. I've seen him running on the sideline. He's fit. Get him out there. Uh, so it's, it's usually a collaboration between medical, physio, SNC coaches. Yeah, okay. But hopefully from the start, there's been a, a solid plan put in place. So if, if someone does, if you did your hamstring today, then we've got a solid plan in place. We've said this is a 10-week injury, and that's what we provide the coaches with information. Never saying his hammy, 10-week injury, here's the plan. These are the stages he's going to go through. These are his exit markers for each stage. Uh, and then you'd hoping maybe getting back in nine and the coach will be happy with you. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you overestimate. Overestimate, This is a 26-week yeah. injury, coach. Yeah. <laughs> Get him back in 10. That's right, yeah. feeling pretty pumped yeah. Nice, nice. Perfect. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on in terms of uh, injury or performance? Uh, no, no. No, that's pretty much that's, everything? That's pretty much it, yeah. Awesome, right? Well, thanks very much for that's coming right. back That's right, thanks on. for having me, Nick. Beautiful, cheers. Thank you. Awesome. And... Uh, Stay tuned because we'll be back with another uh, Strength Institute podcast soon.